Tonight's episode is brought to you by your local search and rescue team, Bendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. Thank God armadillos are not predators that attack humans, because that would have been terrifying. They were big armadillos, man. What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our wanderings and our wonderings, our adventures in the great outdoors and self-discovery. You guys know the drill. We've done this how many times now? Was this 62, 63? You know what we're doing. So how have you guys been? Like, it's been a crazy couple of weeks for me. You guys may have noticed, um... That there's noise in the background for one thing um and that's a part of housekeeping actually we're going to talk about that in just a second it's been a crazy couple of weeks um you may have noticed that i did not drop an episode last week and some of you even reached out and asked which in a way that's awesome because that means you're actually looking forward to podcast drops that's good feedback for me um but it sucks because you know i missed a week there was multiple reasons for that um it was it was crazy. Like, there's been a whole lot of homework. Things got a little tough in one of my classes. Um, got so much going on. Had some personal stuff that I was dealing with um, that got kind of heavy. And um, we had two search and rescue callouts within four days of each other. And so that ate up a whole lot of my time last week that I should have been doing homework. So then I had to do homework and all my other time. And then at the end of the week, I honestly didn't have much time to record an episode. And on top of that, I'll be honest with you guys. I just did not have it in me. Like between the personal stuff, between the schoolwork, the searches, like there was just so much going on. I was like, you know what? You know what? Justin, it's okay. You can, you can skip a week. It'll be okay. Um, so I'm glad though, that I did hear from some of you guys doing welfare checks on me that a was just kind of nice. Um, but B that, you know, it tells me that, you know, you guys are looking forward to hearing episodes, but anyway, you have my apologies. I cannot promise you that this won't happen again. I'm going to do my best to attempt not to. Um, but I mean, I'll be honest with you two weeks from now, this threw my schedule off because I missed a week, got me into a wonky off week and I'm going to have my daughter for two weekends in a row just because of scheduling things. And it's like, that's usually when I record episodes and we may roll around in two weeks. And I'm like, when the heck am I supposed to record this? So we may go another three weeks and it bump us back into our original rotation. I can't really tell you. I don't know. I'm living life by the seat of my pants right now. Like it's hard fam. And you would be surprised how much time can go into making a good episode, especially at this point when I'm 62 episodes in and I've got so much going on in my personal life that I'm not getting to go on that many little adventures. I'm running out of stuff to talk about, guys. Running out of stuff to talk about. You know, I'm having to dig deep into the uh, bag of tricks here, back into the old memory banks. And uh, having to look at some things with fresh eyes like, yo, you already did episodes about being out in California. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's been 60 episodes ago. Maybe I could come up with some new fresh perspective, go back over it. I don't know it would bother anyone. California is amazing. I'm out there on the Big Sur coast. 
And, you know, some a friend of mine actually suggested over this weekend, um, why don't you do like a classics thing? You know, when you have a week, just go down to producing one a month and pull one out of the old, old archives from way back when for all the new listeners that haven't listened all the way back and drop a quote unquote classic episode. I have to consider that there are people that do that, but they have like seven, eight hundred episodes and have been around for 10 years. That's more like getting fresh content. I've been around two years. I don't know if I've been around long enough to do that. And on top of that, um, I'm kind of a perfectionist in many ways, and I can't hardly stand to listen to the first episodes, the earliest episodes, because like, I'm like, oh my God, it was so terrible. It was so terrible, Justin. You were so terrible. Like, I can't really listen to it. And I don't know if I can like let myself bring that stuff back out. I mean, you can go listen to it right now. They're there. I'm not taking them down, but I don't know if I want to just shine a spotlight on them. You know what I mean? You follow? Anyway. So that's why we didn't get an episode out last week. However, it did give me an episode for this week. We're going to talk about Search and Rescue. If you were paying attention when you looked at uh, what you clicked on to play, you saw this is going to be Search and Rescue volume what the heck ever. I'm going to have to go back and look what the last volume was so I can make it numerical. I try to be organized, if nothing else. Um, But we've had two searches in the last week. And plus, I've spent this entire weekend up until I just got home a while ago. Um, a while ago to y'all, that's, uh, that's the Southern coming back out in me. Like sometimes some of those words, some of those phraseologies, colloquialisms, they slip through. Like I try to speak and, um, enunciate properly. Um, I like to throw some fun language stuff in there just because I like the way it sounds and I do that purposely. But every once in a while, something sneaks through like a while ago. You ever thought about how you might spell while ago, because that's what everyone used to say when I was growing up. My mom would say it, people would say it and be like, Yeah, I just got home while ago. What is while ago? Like W A L L A G O, while ago? I mean, it's a contraction, <laughs> a southernized contraction of a while ago, A W H I L E A G O, but while ago. I mean, I'm thinking that's like a distant cousin to the wallaby, and wallabies are pretty cool, actually. Y'all remember Rocco's Modern Life? That was a weird show. The stuff they let us watch when we were kids. Anyway, apparently I'm in fine form tonight. I just realized we went a long ways down a rabbit trail. But that's what we do around here. Anyway, we're going to talk about Search and Rescue Nut. We're going to talk about the call-outs that happened last week. Like, there's so much we can glean from that. All of you outdoors folks out there, you tend to love these episodes for whatever reason. I know you're not all Search and Rescue people, but you love getting a peek behind the curtain. And if you're paying close attention, you're getting a good idea of a lot of things that can help you things that you can learn from when you go out to do your business, um, get out there and hike, go fishing, whatever. Like there's so many things that you can benefit from just kind of hearing what we're doing when we're out there looking for people and how to not get yourself lost. So they're popular episodes. So, I mean, we're just going to keep doing them as things arise and we can pull them out, then we're going to do it. So that's what we're going to do this week. One of the pieces of housekeeping that I was going to touch on is you may hear racket in the background tonight. Um, we have a new kitty here at the house. My daughter went out. You may remember me talking about old Seabass. He went onto that great litter box. Um, my daughter won out. She was turning into quite a pathetic sight, to be honest. It was very pitiful, not pathetic. She was quite pitiful. Um, and I happen to know, I have a friend who had some kittens that had been abandoned in their neighborhood, um, and needed a place for him to go. So we ended up with a new kitty cat. Her name is Luna. She is quite beautiful and 
right now, she's settled in. She's pretty comfortable in the place right now. So she's turned into like what I would liken to like the Tasmanian devil if he got a hold of some PCP or some bath salts, maybe. Like it's chaos. She has tried to eat my face multiple times. Um, she has destroyed my arm, my hands. Like I kind of look like I stuck my hand in the paper shredder. And um, she's got lots and lots of energy. She is truly a kitten. She's a little sweetheart, but she's also the devil. And so if you hear a ton of racket in the background, we're just going to have to roll with it. We're going to have to learn how to live with Luna, y'all. Y'all are along for the ride with me. I'm learning how to live with her. You're going to have to, too. Hopefully, like, I, I, I doused her in catnip, and maybe she'll be comatose. Okay? Like, yeah, I legit did that. Um, so maybe she'll be comatose. For the entirety of this recording, I don't know if she pops her head in here. For those of you that watch on YouTube, I will introduce you to her because I have no doubt she's going to get curious eventually to all the talking going over on over here in the corner behind the uh, screen. So if she comes along, I will introduce you to her. If she does not, we'll get it next time. And if you hear noise in the background, we're just going to have to roll with it. I did take her little dingly bell off. I did do that because I was like that that will drive me insane. Okay. Like that's the Tasmanian devil with a cowbell around his neck. That would be horrifying. And that's kind of what it's like. So anyway, if you hear some noise, I beg your forgiveness. I ask you to work with me as we move along through the episode, because we got to get busy tonight. We got some stuff to talk about. I've got some editing to do after we talk for an hour or more, which is usually the case because it's Justin we're talking about here. Let's be real. I don't know how to do brevity. I don't even know what brevity is. Um, And then I got to like watch it all and edit it all. And then I got to do homework. So anyway, we're going to get moving on down the line. So again, we're going to do a search and rescue episode tonight. You guys seem to love them. Um, and we had two call outs. We had some interesting call outs, like within four days of each other. And then we had this training this weekend. So what we're going to do, we've actually had a busy four or five months, three or four months, really. We've had quite a bit of work going in the last four or five months, quite a few searches. So I'm going to tell you just about a couple that I wasn't present for. I didn't get to go on, um, to kind of help fill out the episode, but also it's stuff we did and it's going to go to the theme. Tonight's theme is going to be teamwork. Okay. Search and rescue requires a lot of teamwork, but more so than just your own team, you have lots of teams that you work with. And that's really what's been on display as of late. Our last four or five searches that we've really had anything to do with, um, has been a great deal of teamwork going on between multiple agencies. We call it interagency operability or interteam operability. But when you get into interagency, you're talking about game and fish is involved, forestry is involved. And that was the case for the last I don't know about the original two that I'm going to talk about tonight um, for just a brief minute, but the two that we just did that I was in on both of, we had lots of interagency stuff going on. It's all about teamwork. It's all about standardization of terminologies. It's all about standardization of, of logistics. Like there's so much that goes into it and everyone's got to do their part. And when it works well, it can be a thing of beauty. And we had some pretty good, um, operability going on for the last couple of searches. And then we had this training this weekend, which was a multi-agency, not agency, multi-team training. That's great too, because that goes to the, the greater, the greater good of everyone. When you're working with teams and training with teams that are in your surrounding counties, then you you guys are going to help each other a lot. And the more you know each other, 
The more you know their capabilities, the more you know what to expect out of them when you show up or they know what to expect from you when you show up on their scene or what you know to expect from them when they show up on your scene like that just makes it better. And what we're all after here is the subject's best interest. And what's in the subject's best interest, the missing person's best interest, getting found alive, hopefully. Right. And in the best shape as quickly as possible. And the way that happens is through a lot of people working together. Um, and the more seamless that can be, the better for everyone involved. And that's kind of going to be the theme of tonight, because that's really what came to mind. It's like, man, we've really, really done some cool stuff in the last you know, couple of months. And there's a theme here. It's just how well all the teams have been working together. You know, it's something you build towards. And so that's going to be our theme tonight. Um, we're going to start with, what are we going to start with? What do you want to start with, Justin? Um Let's start with our training that we've had this weekend, and then we'll go to our two little searches that we had a couple of months ago, and uh, then we'll cut to break. We get on to the 30-minute mark or whatever, and we'll come back for the second half, and we'll do the two that just most recently happened that I have the freshest information on and that I was a part of. Um, so anyway, the training. I had a training put on by Franklin County Search and Rescue. You guys have heard me talk about them before. Dave Sutter, Fred Mullen. Some of the best around, that is my opinion. Like, I don't think Fred Mullen's a search and rescue guru. Like, I don't think you could find anyone that would argue with me about that. I will die on that hill. Like, I've learned most of the things, the most important things I've learned from him over the last six or seven years. Um, they just do great stuff. They're very professional. They do great work. And they train well. They are good teachers. Y'all, I know people that know stuff, lots of stuff, but are terrible teachers. Like have no, they cannot articulate a thought. They cannot take what they keep here that they just know how to do and make it relatable to people. Like there's a, there's a skill to being a good teacher. There's a skill to telling a good story. There's a skill involved with interpersonal communications. And I know people that are excellent at what they do, but could not teach you. You can't handle it. You cannot brain what's coming out of their mouth because they can't get it out. Like it just doesn't work for some people. But when you get to like Dave teaching a class, Fred teaching, like it's, it's totally digestible. It's easily consumable. Like they're very, very good teachers. I always love training with those guys. Um, and we had our team, we had the, the County to our North Crawford County, several of their people. And then we had Franklin County, of course was there. And, uh, we got a lot of good training in over the weekend and see, that's important. A, just stay up on top of things. Like, I mean, we've just had a bunch of searches in the last little while, right? But to go to trainings where nothing is on the line, nobody's life is on the line at that moment, it's good because you can slow down. You can talk. You can ask questions. You know, like there's not a lot of pressure on. You're just there to work through stuff. And yeah, you go over a lot of stuff. You already know. You go over stuff that you yourself teach sometimes. Like that happens to me fairly often. I've taught a lot of things in a lot of places over the years. Um, But I'm still teachable, right? You're always there to learn something. You just sit quietly in the corner and you listen because you're not there to lead anything. You're there to listen because those guys are better than me all day long. They know they have forgotten more about search and rescue than I may ever be able to accumulate in my brain. So like you go to learn. It's just good to stay familiar with terms, new ideas. Like, you know, I came away from this weekend with two or three little tidbits that I'd never really known before. Like, you know, there's a billion ways to do everything guys. And it takes all perspectives. It takes all input 
to get to stuff. Like sometimes you got a better way than I got. I may have been doing away for 20 years and it works like a charm for me, but you may come up with something and show me something. And I'm like, well, gosh, darn that works about as well as mine does, but you do it in half the time. Yours is way easier and more efficient and every bit is effective. Like there's always better ways coming along. And I came away with a couple of things this weekend. One of them, this one I liked a lot because a lot of what we do is, you know, first aid. When you get to someone who's been missing or whatever, you, you've got um, diabetic patients. You have situations like that. Why do we carry most of the stuff we carry in our bags? For the one-off chance, we were talking about Benadryl today and they were saying, how often do you ever use Benadryl? But you got to have a couple in your pack because when you need it, you need it. And they're talking about like one guy was saying, it's like, I've been doing this 20 years. He's like, I don't think I've ever had to pop that Benadryl out. And I was able to say, I literally just used a Benadryl for a patient like three months ago. And it was at the Ozark Rec show. They bring me up this little girl and they're like, hey, they said you can help with this. And the whole side of her face was swollen. She looked like she'd been stung by a thousand bees. So you carry a little bit of everything for those kinds of situations, right? And somebody had said for a low blood sugar patient, because you'll come up on that. You know, they've been out there too long. They've been sweating. They've they've dehydrated. There's a lot of stuff going on. If somebody is um, diabetic to any level, they get a low blood sugar situation going on. What are you going to give them? There's a lot of things you can give them. But this guy who is a hardcore badass, you know, EMT, fire, um, uh, Gosh, hold on a second. Let me make sure I say this right, because we do not want to give we, we want to give full credit to how badass this guy is. Um, and I need to get to know him better. Um, but uh, Wildland Firefighter EMT kind of kind of deal. OK, but he was saying honey packets, you know, those little honey packets. You go get breakfast. You can put it on your biscuit or whatever. He's like, those are great. Yeah, that's awesome. I went immediately. When I left today, I had stopped at the convenience store on the way back in and I grabbed a few and threw them in my pack because y'all, they're light, they're super tiny, and they're right there. That little packet, you just pull the end and it's liquid. Like it'll dissolve in their mouth. They don't have to chew it. That's an awesome idea. Lots of little things like that that you never thought of. You had your own way of doing it. Everyone's got a way to get someone's blood sugar up, but that one, that's an incredibly like efficient, useful way to do it. So that, I just changed my game on that totally put that in the pack. When we did our, um, you know, we did a lot of different skills. We talked about pre-planning y'all. We have an episode about pre-planning. Of course, theirs is far more in depth and way better than mine because they're the ones that taught me what I do know about pre-planning. And, and they, they're a very busy team and they have some people that are dedicated to certain things like that. It's part of their, their job description within the County. Um, and they're able to do, they're able to turn it into an art, right? It's not just a science. It is an art. And you combine the two. It's a thing of beauty to watch. So the rest of us just try to glean what we can and put it to use with the available resources we have. But we have we have an episode about pre-planning, you know, several back. Um, but we talked about pre-planning. We talked about, you know, search tactics. We t It's philosophy. And that's what I love about these kind of trainings, especially of Franklin County, because they get it. Search and rescue is not just about teaching somebody. Here's what I want you to do. And I want you to go do that. Um. I mean, that's part of it, right? But if you can teach everyone the philosophy, the theory of it, and then they can understand it, you put together an entire team of people who can make really good decisions on the fly. 
who can be in the field and maybe out of radio range. Y'all, comms are hard to deal with sometimes, especially when you're mountain search and rescue, you're overland, you know, wilderness search and rescue. You get into terrain and you'll have comm issues. Everyone being well-trained and understanding the theory, the philosophy of the whys and the hows that we do what we do and the effects that it can have, um, that is big. Because then when you're in a bind and you can't quite make radio contact and you're about to have to send someone on a half mile hike that's going to take eight or ten minutes climbing up the side of this bluff just to turn themselves into a relay, that's super time consuming. You, If you understand theory and the philosophy, you can make that decision for yourself and the entire team that you're leading right there with you. So this kind of training from people that really get it and teach you philosophy and help you understand it. You know, they teach you the nuts and the bolts, but they're also teaching you the whys and the hows. That's huge. That makes a big difference. Um, and we went all over all kinds of stuff like that. But we also did the basic stuff. You go back and do basic stuff, man. We got some wilderness survival stuff. We talked about shelters. We looked at um, the man who led. And I don't remember all of their names. So if any of you guys ever listen, you have my apologies because it's not out of a lack of respect. It's a lack of uh, Justin being able to completely file away all the information I take in on a daily basis. But all of them were excellent and more than qualified. Some of them were qualified, literally badass status um, or badass level. And then showing how to build different shelters and had built several and just went through and said, look, how simple, how fast, you know, it's not about being super backwoods commando, man. It's about, I need something fast and efficient. We built fires. And that was one of the things I took away. You guys know I'm all big about, you know, building fires and building them the hard way. Like y'all, we have a firecraft episode, but something I was not aware of because you guys, we talked about taking the cedar hair, you know, you go up to the cedar bark and you peel off the little furry hairs. Those make great fire starters. And I lean on those because you can almost always find a cedar tree somewhere nearby. But I was introduced to the fact that like river birch, like down there on the, on the, the, in the cane breaks and down on the river's edge, the birch, the, the bark off of the birch. Holy cow. Or was it birch or beech? May have been the beech trees. Either way, I know what it looks like and I know how to use it, but it's amazing. Y'all, this like paper thin bark. You can light it with like a single spark. It's even better by far actually than the cedar hair. However, if you use the two together, because one is a little bit more substantial and it's got the sap really into it, sets it on fire, use them in tandem and you will find them together down in river bottoms. But that, that, um, the bark off that beech tree, hot dog, man, that, that new to me and going right here, right in my brain. Remember the most effective tool that you can have are the ones that weigh the least and knowledge weighs nothing. If you know it, you carry it with the, you everywhere and it doesn't put an ounce of weight in your pack. So these kind of trainings are awesome. It doesn't matter how experienced you get. Um, there's always more to learn. And on top of that, you need to make those connections. You need to continue to build those bonds and strengthen those friendships and those relationships and meet new faces. Crawford County's team, they were disbanded for like five years and they just fired back up, you know, maybe a year ago, probably around eight to 12 months ago. And they're getting right back into the swing of things. And I need to know who they all are. I need to get to know them pretty well. We're going to work a lot with them. They're literally five minutes. I'm five minutes from Crawford County, right across the river. Like we're all going to work together and we do. And we have for the last three, four searches. Like we've been very 
much a part of each other's world and getting to go to like a weekend like this where you're training, you get to spend a lot of time just getting to know them too, talking, got to get a break every so often, you know, so everyone can get up and stretch their legs. Um, and you got to stop for lunch and you get to know people and you make, make relationships with them. Like I try to get them, find them, put them on Facebook just so I can keep up with them, you know, and, and try to further cultivate those relationships. And then you're happy to see them. Sometimes you make new friends. You're happy to see them when you run across each other again. Um, so these kind of training weekends are just really, really, really awesome. Um, and we got a lot of good things accomplished. And again, it's about that teamwork and that inter-team operability. Like we all get to know each other and they get to know us and they get to see like, Hey, that guy right there knows what he's talking about with such and such. And we always know, you know, if someone from FC Franklin County says it, you know, just take it as the word of God, because it kind of is when it comes to search and rescue, those guys, those guys put it down, man. They know, they know, but getting to forge those relationships, make those bonds and, and be able to show each other, Hey, I can trust you on my scene and they can look at us and go, we can trust you on our scene. And that makes our teams way better. And these are things that we're going to talk about, especially in the second half of tonight's episode, when we get into our two most recent searches, because you do get team mixing. You're not always going to have everyone. Again, this is kind of like volunteer fire, right? I've told you guys before, everyone kind of understands how volunteer fire works. Well, that's how volunteer search and rescue tends to work. Not all, not everyone is always available. We're not getting paid and we're not sitting at a firehouse, like a paid fire professional ready to go out. As soon as you get a call that comes in, most of us are at work most of the time. We all have children. We all have lives. You know, people aren't in town. They're out of state. So you're going to show up sometimes, maybe in the very initial stages of a search, you may show up three or four people and they're going to plug you into another team that may have only three or four people. And now you've got two teams trying to learn each other's names and work together. Like if you're already learning those things and training together, everything goes easier. And that's how these last couple of searches went. Uh, hints where the theme for the night's episode came from teamwork, um, in search and rescue. That's where it came from. So that's, that's kind of the impetus for tonight's episode. That's the impetus for good cross training. Um, and you just get everyone working together and it makes it seamless. Again, it's one of those things when you see it with your own eyes and you watch it play out and it's working well, it really is a thing of beauty. It's, it's, it's fun to watch and it's neat to watch. It makes you feel like, Hey, this, I'm really a part of something that matters here. I really am a part of something bigger here that, that makes a difference. Um, but anyway, let's talk about real quickly before we go to break, let's talk about, let's talk about a couple of searches. I did not go get to go on, but I just wanted to point them out cause they're recent. Like we've had a busy year or really the last four or five months has been super busy for us here. You know, I talk about Franklin County's team. There are other teams like them. They're just the closest to us. Like, but they are super busy with the OHT, all the waterfalls in their county. Um, you guys have heard me say this a million times that have listened to the podcast for very long. But Franklin County's team, they stay hopping all year round. They they stay well versed in what to do because they're constantly doing. Um, but for a lot of our teams, like here in Sebastian County, we don't have that much that goes on. Um, so for us, two calls in a week is insane. Um, that's just a total anomaly and four or five calls in a three month span. That's, that's pretty high too. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk about just a couple of these and kind of for the sake of, again, giving you an idea, like it's all about 
inter-team. It's all about teamwork. But also to give you an idea, because a lot of you guys listen, and you know I use this as a promotional tool. Go join a team. It's good for you. It's good for your life hiking and being an outdoorsman. But you're putting all those skills that you already have to work for a better good. And a lot of these searches can be kind of fun. Some of them are not so fun. We're going to talk about a couple tonight that you know, did not have necessarily great outcomes. Um, and those are a little bit harder, but it's always something that is building you as a person. And you're always doing something that is helping something, someone somewhere, even if the outcome is not necessarily what everyone wanted. Um, one of the two that happened very recently that I did not get to be part of one of them was, and it kind of illustrates, you know, that it's volunteer, you know, you can't always go. But one of the most recent ones we had was a missing hunter up in Crawford County. And it was snowing, y'all. I mean, we got tone out at like, I want to say it was like 430 or 530. Like my phone goes, starts going off. And I thought it was time to get up for work, which it almost was. Um, but I got up and I was like, oh, wait, that's, oh, crud. Those are pages. Start looking. I'm like, hey, there's a hunter missing. There's two inches of snow on the ground, three inches up there in Crawford, and it's piling up like they had a significant snow going on, and this hunter was out all night. And so, you know, there's a little bit of urgency to that. So we got as many people as we could deployed, and we got actually had a pretty darn good turnout for a whatever morning. It was a weekday morning. I, of course, did not go, couldn't go because I had to go to work. Um, and it kind of goes to show you, you know, that's part of the game. Like, I'll tell you what, y'all, when you're a search and rescue person and and there's a search happening that you cannot go on it's like being famished and having a craving for chick-fil-a on sunday afternoon it it's unsettling like it'll have you spinning in circles because you want to go so bad and help you want to go participate and they drive you insane when you can't get there and i was at work all morning Everyone's up there having fun, tromping through the snow, looking for this gentleman. And, um, you know, I'm at work. I'm at work doing worky work things, things that are not nearly as exciting or fun as tromping through the snow in the Ozark Mountains on a beautiful, snowy, crisp morning trying to help somebody out. You know, worky work is not nearly as satisfying as that is. Um, and I had set forth in my mind, I'm like, noon rolls around, I'm taking off the rest of the day. I've got three or four hours of PTO. If we get to noon and I get to my lunch hour and he has not been found, I'm on the road. And I'm talking y'all like 10 minutes, eight or nine or 10 minutes to lunch, get the page that he's been found. And that's good. That's a good thing. Like, that's what you want. But it was like, oh, man, I was so jacked and I didn't get there in time. And then you just said you couldn't. You just didn't take the whole day off so that you could have got there to try to help. But that gentleman was found. It was a good outcome. He was very cold. Um, and he had a rough night sitting out there in the snow and being snowed on. But, you know, he was an old hunter, an old woodsman. He knew his way around and he made it through the night and we had a good outcome. Those are good things. We are happy when those happen very, very, very much. Um, so that was a good one. That was a good one. And you know what? I I was going to tell a second story before we go to break because it's short. I didn't get to go on it. Um, but the more I thought about it, I actually started to tell it through the magic of podcast editing. You didn't hear me just reason with myself for the last two or three minutes going, can I say that? I don't think I should say that. I can probably say that. But is that? No, I probably shouldn't say that because respect for people. And it wasn't anything gory or terrible. It's just 
it's one of those weird gray areas. It's not gory. It's not terrible. It wouldn't be against HIPAA, but it's also like not necessary. Does that make sense? But anyway, around it, what I will say is sometimes you have searches and it's like a human remains search. And you know that we had one recently and it was a, um, like six or seven months. It was a long stretch after the initial missing. Like it was already understood that it, it hadn't been a search for a long time. It was recovery mode. And this was more of a, more of a try to bring closure for a family. And I will go ahead and say it and tell you this much of it for that purpose. Search and rescue has its aspects. <clears throat> Sometimes they're not fun searches, you know, like this one, it was, it was an older person it was kind of understood what probably happened. And, and it had been several months ago, you know, but you're trying to bring closure. You're trying to bring someone home um, so that they can bury someone. You know, it's a very, very important thing to do for people. It's an important part of search and rescue. It's not common. It's not common. You know, the people that went, they had time to prepare for it. It's not like there was any kind of call out that was like super, you know, it was like, hey, such and such requested. They're going to take a weekend coming up soon. And they're really going to try to bear back down on this area where they really felt strongly the individual probably was and going to try to find something to take home. And so we did that. I didn't get to go. Our team did. And our team did indeed make the find. Um, no, personally, the people that made the find very well. And it's interesting. It's interesting to kind of deal with things like that. And you don't have to, you know, if you get into search and rescue, no one's going to make you go do that, right? You don't have to, you can turn down anything if it makes you uncomfortable, but it is another aspect of search and rescue that can occasionally come up. And in the end, that is the true, truest form of public service to me in a way is because that's the real, really not the most glamorous thing to have to do but you go because you want to. Everyone signed up and went because they chose to. And the whole purpose was to bring someone some closure somewhere. You know what I mean? And I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. And I kind of wanted to tell that story just so you can kind of see there is that other side of it as well. But also like to kind of show you too, like pay respect to my teammates that got to go out there and search. I didn't get to go that weekend. I think I had my daughter. I mean, I had to work. I don't know. Um, I definitely wanted to go, but could not go. But like, Respect, y'all, your public servants, cops, EMTs, firefighters, the whole lot of them do respect them because I'm telling you, they doing stuff out there. I've learned just about EMTs and first responders myself firsthand, and I don't go do it because I choose not to. That's not Justin's bag. I am telling you, um, it takes a special person and thank God we have them. Um, show them some respect. Because they're doing stuff that you don't ever, ever, ever want to see sometimes. And that is a true statement. Um, but anyway, I think we're going to wrap up first part of the episode here and cut to break. And we will get on with the other two stories that are much more in-depth. There's a lot more interesting stuff to talk about in the next couple of stories we have for tonight. And we're going to do that after the break. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics, a brand based right here in the good old US of A, Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves right there in Portland, 
from the top of the chain, have a great conversation, and we end up starting this great relationship we have. They more than made right, the little snafu that occurred, and I am now a huge proponent of them because I can tell you from personal experience, they are good people, and they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about $40, but using the exact same frame material, TR90, and the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably knew in our hearts, when you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name, not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Ben Daddy Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them, send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right. And they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I, Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash Optics. And that I highly suggest, whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you'll ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through the sponsor break. You guys, please support our sponsors. Whoever you just heard an ad about, by all means, please support them. And however you buy, whatever you buy from them, let them know that I sent you, that Wayward Story sent you, because that's, you know, the ways that we keep the podcast rolling. Um, anyway, let's get on with the second half of tonight's show. We're going to tell a couple stories. This could run on for a while. Let's let's try to keep it brief, Justin. Um it's I got other stuff to do. I've got other stuff to do. I love being here, though. I love this. The problem is I'm just really scrunched for time here lately. Um, I'm ready for life to calm down. I'm ready to be a boring old man, I think. Anyway, back to Search and Rescue. Volume whatever the heck. Figure it out later. Um, anyway, we had a call out a couple weeks ago. Well, it's been, oh, well, it was the week before I didn't get an episode out to you guys. Um, and I'm going to keep everything super vague again, HIPAA and also just respect more so than HIPAA, just respect, just respect. But we had a call out. Um, and I think the call out came about one in the afternoon. I was at work, um, five o'clock rolled around and I, there was still, you know, we hadn't been 10, 20 dude. So, I went straight from work. I changed on Rogers Avenue. Somebody got to see my hairy back as I put on my search and rescue shirt, you know, and because uh, it did take, I mean, I had my whole gear set up, but I wasn't about to take the time to go inside and change. Like, I mean, my work pants are, I mean, they're not as nice as my awesome pair of 511s that are issued by the county, but they're work pants. They're going to do the job. They got pockets where I need pockets. So all I really needed was change shirts, right? So I just changed shirts and I went straight there. Um, so straight out of work, straight to the search, showed up, county sheriff's there. They've got their incident command post, which, by the way, is beautiful. Like, oh, my gosh, so much room. I mean, it's still tiny because it's, you know, a big RV, but like it's still very spacious. Like when you step in there to get you a briefing or whatever, like it's just meant everything is just humming along. You got comms going over here. You've got Sartapo going over here and everyone's doing what everyone's supposed to do and making things flow. 
That is a sight to see. It is a beautiful sight to see. And you can put your own eyes on this huge screen with a map of the area and get an idea of where it's already been searched. Let's see those lines. Where am I supposed to go? What do you want me to do? Like, y'all, communication is so key. Teamwork. Again, theme of the night. Teamwork. County sheriffs, right? They're running the scene. Because in most states, Arkansas for sure, and in most states, county sheriffs are who responsibility for missing persons cases falls to. We all are like adjuncts to them. Like we are at their disposal. We are their tools. Okay. So it's always going to fall to them. They're always going to control the scene and we're always going to be, um, support. We're coming in to, yes, we're, we're trained and perhaps county sheriffs are not. We do have a couple of county sheriffs on our team, which is awesome. Um, but in general, they're not getting search and rescue training as a part of their, say, academy training or whatever. They might get a little blurb here or there, but they're not getting trained in search and rescue, right? They got other things to worry about. I mean, you guys just watch the news and they got plenty, plenty to worry about that's not search and rescue. They leave that to us. Um, so they call us in as an arm of that. And I show up and here we are. We've got interagency operability. We've got the county sheriffs on site. We've got the local PD on site. We've got our team. We've got Crawford and we've got Franklin folks rolling in. Talk about interagency operability. On top of that, we've got Arkansas Game and Fish. Like this was a search on the river, a river, local river. Um, we got Game and Fish on the water, up and down the banks. We've got the National Guard because we literally live next to a National Guard base. They have like cool toys. Okay, they have helicopters and things that are kind of fun. Um, and so they had a helicopter at one point in the night. I They were not there while I was there, but they had a bird in the air is what I was told before I arrived. And they were trying to get another one up that was thermal, that had FLIR or thermal imaging um, to try to help find a body heat signature out in the wilderness, right? Um, and my understanding was that bird was grounded. For whatever reason, they had issues and they could not get it airborne, but they were working on that. We also had Arkansas State Police working on getting a bird with FLIR inbound from Little Rock. Um, so there's like all kinds of agencies involved here. Everyone working together. Teamwork. Like I said, teamwork. What is your specific strength? Well, Game and Fish they got boats. They like to do boaty things. So they're out there doing boaty things with spotlights. They love spotlights too. They also like like running lights on their boats, like infrared looking running lights. It's kind of fun to see them out there on the water on plane in the full moonlight. And you just see like the little green light and you can just hear the outboard just humming along, but you don't really see what's happening. Um, but they like spotlights, they like their boats and they do really great job of doing boaty things out there in the water when you need someone to be searching for someone. And so they were doing that. Everyone was doing their job. And what we had was a, a young adult who was, you know, healthy age. Um, and they had just been missing overnight. Um, vehicle was parked somewhere local and they'd been missing all night and we got called in, try to figure out where the heck they were. And I'll tell you what, down the river bottoms is a different world than up in the mountains. We spend a lot of time up in the mountains, but you get down in a big river bottom. Um, it, it's different. Like there's a lot of different things. There's washes, there's creeks, there's little, you know, all these things coming in. You get floods that go well higher than where you're at down there searching through the hardwoods and the rolling little hills and the sand mounds that come from these flooding rivers. Um, 
there's debris everywhere. There's old cars everywhere. Like there's stuff literally just kind of sparsely all through all the forest floor as you go down in the river bottom. But it gets kind of hairy down there. Like we had, y'all, we had an armadillo. We ran across an armadillo. I swear to God, if you guys ever seen, I'm sure you have because it's the internet and everyone has the internet. Um, Pictures of those stinking pigs that people domesticate and let them run around their house. You know, like they're huge. They're, they're fat as hell. Like there are armadillos out there that reminded me of those stinking pigs. Like they were big, big armadillos. They sounded like a human crashing through the brush. Like we'd hear some noise off in the distance. You know, whip your head around like, oh, what's that? And it's a huge armadillo. Like, thank God armadillos are not predators that attack humans because that would have been terrifying. They were big armadillos, man. But down there in the river bottoms, of course, it's muddy. Like you really need good boots, man, because if you don't, they're going to suck it right off your foot. You're going to step in mud. It's literally just going to eat your foot. And when you pull your foot out, it's just take your boots down in there somewhere. You're going to have to go digging. It can get that way. But we had a really good response, really good response, man. Franklin turned out a whole crew and Franklin is always good. Like they're so good. They turned out a whole crew. We turned out a whole crew. I mean, it ran into after work hours. Everyone's chomping at the bit, right? Me, several of our team leads, everyone finally made it. We had a good showing. Franklin showed a bunch of people. Crawford showed a bunch of people. County sheriffs were there. It was rolling and it worked really well. We were able to get a lot of coverage really, really fast. And that's what you want. The sooner you can get moving and covering and just being able to mark quadrants, sectors, mark sectors off of the map that has been searched thoroughly. Um, and we had really good response and everything was going really well as far as that was concerned. Now my team ended up going out, um, pretty late. I got tasked as a lead. Um, and I had actually, it was kind of cool because I, as a team lead, I have a team under me always that that's who I communicate with. They communicate through me. You know, it makes everything flow more seamlessly, you know, a lot less messages and stuff when you have to communicate. Um, and like all of them basically showed up, which was great because I work with them all the time. So there's like the primary team that I'm going to take into the field with me. That's great. But we had a couple of emergent volunteers show up and they tagged them onto our team and it turned out to be great. And this is an awesome opportunity for me to talk about emergent volunteers. I don't believe I've covered them very thoroughly in any of the previous search and rescue volumes, whatever. Um, we're going to talk about emergent volunteers because what is an emergent volunteer? Well, that's you. If you want to come out and help, if you know someone's missing and you want to come help and you find your way to an incident command post somewhere to a check-in, you are an emergent volunteer. Emergent volunteers are a complexity in a search and this is why I want to talk about emergent volunteers, because I want you to take the information I'm going to tell you. And I want you to like tell people if you ever run into a situation where someone's interest, having an interesting conversation about whatever, you know, sometimes you're like, hey, I actually heard this on this show, this show podcast I listened to about why things work that way sometimes, because sometimes you'll get people. There's been searches in the past where the public gets kind of angry. It's happened before. It's not so much a problem now because we found ways to make these things work. You know, we learn a lot. 
hindsight is twenty twenty. We learn a lot and we put it to use because we don't ever want to put, we, we always want to get as much as we can out of everyone. We need all the help we can get, right? But emergent volunteers are complex and this is why you're complex. <clears throat> if you are a hiker or anyone, a hunter, you know, anyone, and you want to show up, okay, this happens a lot, say when children are missing or say it's a local elderly person, a dementia patient, you will get a lot of emergent volunteers. A lot of time, the family there, they want to help search. Well, here's the issue. We want you, we want your help, but you got to be careful and be hesitant because you were not trained to search. And that sounds like, well, what, what do you mean? I'm going out there and I'm looking for someone. How hard can it be to be, what do you need to train me for? Well, see, that's the thing. That's what we've been learning over these last several decades is there's been cases and there's a really famous case where emergent volunteers, you know, kind of got someone killed because when you turn loose, it turns out 300 people to go look for someone and they're not, they're not looking for clues. They're not looking for footprints. They're not looking for all the things we're now trained to look for. They're looking for a person. They walk all over the evidence that could have told us the direction that the person was going. And now it's destroyed. And now we don't have a probably, you know, like a, a direction of travel. Now we're still looking in a 360 degree circle when we could have like refined it. What did they say over this weekend? What did Dave say? Trying to turn the whole world into 20 degrees, a direction of travel, take 360 degrees and condense it down to 20. That's all the questions we ask. You know, when you're out there doing a questionnaire, what were they wearing? You know, you're asking the person that reported them missing, getting as much information as you can. You're you're trying to trim that 360 degrees down to a basically a sight line. Which direction are we looking in? Because that increases the survivability rate exponentially because you're putting more people in a tinier space and there's a better chance of finding them. But if you turn loose a horde of people, it is a herd. It's literally a herd of humans. Have you ever been behind, like any of you folks out there that have lived in the country, you ever wandered across the road where the bison have run across the road and you looked out there and there's just like this destroyed ground where they walked? Cows do that. Anything that runs in herds, moves in herds, they destroy the ground that they walk on. Humans do that too. And when you turn loose two or 300 people, because everyone's there because they want to find Sally Sue's daughter who went missing because they do because people have good hearts and they want to go do that but you turn them loose and they don't know what they're looking for then they walk all over sally zoo's shoe prints and now there's 250 different sets of shoe prints to try to pick out a shoe print from now we don't see like the little gum wrapper of the kind of gum she chewed because somebody didn't know to look for that as a clue and they stepped on it until it got smushed into the mud right you destroy the evidence that tells you where to go find the person because people are not trained to search and that's fine. But that's why we have a problem dealing with emergent volunteers is people want to help. But if we put them to task in the immediate vicinity of what we think is the most important, it may very well cost us our person. It might cost that person their life. You see, there is a reason for it. So we try to find ways to work emergent volunteers in. And I tell you all that because I want you to understand if you ever go to a search and they're kind of like, listen, we, we, we don't know how to use you right now or whatever. People get angry. They talk. They go over here and they're like, oh, they don't want us to find her. Like people get, especially these days, everyone's conspiratorial. Like I feel safe saying that. It's always the government. Like, I mean, I'm freaking volunteer search and rescue guy that works for a county. But, you know, they're going to look at us. We're part of the government. No one trusts the government anymore, right? Like, can you blame them? Nobody trusts the government anymore. 
And if you're in official capacity and you don't say what someone wants to hear, like this immediately, it's bitterness. People are not super understanding. Well, I'm trying to bridge that gap a little bit right here tonight. None of us in search and rescue. I mean, you can say what you want about whatever you want, but nobody in search and rescue trying to stop anyone from saving anyone. Like that's the only reason we come and do it. We don't get paid. It's an ugly job. We usually come home hurt, bruised, scratched, snake bit, and covered in ticks. You know what I mean? There's nothing, nothing glorious about search and rescue. We do it because we want to help people. It means something to us to help people. Um, but know if you get, I don't want to say turned down because most places are getting really good about finding ways to work you into tasks that can actually help aid us in what we want to do. But like, there are real reasons why you don't just turn a million people loose on like a line search anymore. Like you see line searches in TV shows and stuff. A line search is like, you've seen it. People almost shoulder to shoulder across an in- entire meadow or something and everyone's covered. I mean, you're getting like one thousand percent probability of detection right nobody searches like that that if you see a search like that it's either made for tv because it looks good or you're trying to find evidence for a crime and the police have actually asked listen we think the gun the knife the murder weapon the whatever for this other thing that we dealt with we think it's out here somewhere and and you go out there and you line you up shoulder to shoulder and you make sure no one misses anything you don't do that when you're looking for a person you, I mean, you could take everyone out of that scene because it's a meadow, right? You could have one person walk across that meadow and clear it. She is not, the little girl is not here in this field, clearly, because it's a hundred yards across and there's nothing. They just cut the grass. There's nothing here. You send out and you try to cover as much area as possible because we don't have a ton of resources like that that are trained to know how to look for clues, right? You're not going to see line searches like that because they're slow, they're super inefficient, and they're like overkill because that's not the kind of thing you're looking for. What we look for, and this is the other thing, we don't look for people, we look for clues, okay? You can overlook the clues. We're always looking for the last known position, That is the thing that we're always looking for. The thing that can tell us this is where that person was last. Because every time you do that, you take yourself another step down the road and you, again, refine that 360 degree view further and further and further. And you're getting closer to that 20 degrees that Mr. Sutter was talking about. And I love that concept. And I'm going to use that forever now. I mean, I knew the concept because that's what we do, but I never heard it put that way. You're trying to refine this, this broad, broad panorama, so to speak, and bring it down to a narrow focus. And like, that is such a great, like visualization, visual, visualization tool. Um, and I love it. So I'm going to use it probably a lot, but I will always give him credit for it. Um, But you get a last known position, a footprint that matches an odd shoe. We know that's their shoe. If we have confirmation that that's the kind of shoe they're wearing, it's got a weird notch in it or whatever, that's freaking their shoe. Boom. New last known position. Boom. New direction of travel. Okay. Reset everyone. We've got whole new areas to search and we're refining it, getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And that's what you're after. You're out there searching for clues because you can walk right over that clue and destroy it with your own footprint if you're not trained. To be clue aware, track aware, if that's not what you're out there doing. If you're just looking for a human, you're stomping all over everything. But emergent volunteers can be great, right? Just understand kind of the, that's the thing. I want you to understand the dynamics of an emergent volunteer in search and rescue because it is complicated. 
and there's complex reasons for a lot of things. But in the end, we're all after the subject's best interest. So just please try to understand that. But don't turn, you know, if someone's missing and you think you can help, I will encourage you to go be an emergent volunteer, especially if you're a hunter or a hiker that is extremely aware of an area where that person may be missing. Say you're a hunter that grew up on your old homestead and you're still living there where your parents raised you and you know these mountains like the back of your hand and you've got people out there because some little girl went missing with her family on a hike. You should probably see your way to incident command to check in and say, hey, listen, I, I would like to help if you'll have me. I know these woods like the back of my hands and I can give you guys, I can tell you where all the trails are. I can tell you where all the roads are. I can tell you where the caves are, the waterfalls. We want to hear from you. So I do not discourage you. And in some cases, I mean, I'm absolutely bring yourself out if you can offer something. We had emergent volunteers because there's a lot of mountain bike trails on this very one that we're talking about that we just did ran late into the night and into the next day. We had a couple folks on mountain bikes out there that wanted to help. There's mountain bike trails. They went and rode their mountain bikes on mountain bike trails. They were just like, Hey, we can help. We can cover a lot of ground. We, yeah, that's great. They're just extra people, right? Like we can turn you loose and we can give you a little bit because it's just one of you. It's just two of you. Here's what you need to know. Keep your eyes open, you know, go slow, keep your eyes open and look for footprints, look for tracks. Like you can give a basic idea of what to look for and I mean, let them go, let them go see what they can run into. They're searching, kind of searching. They're like ancillary, like they're like extra search over here in this different area. That's not necessarily where we think the person is, but they're not trained searchers anyway. So there you go. Emergent volunteers go out there and ride your bikes and look, see what you come across. Let us know if you see anything by all means. Heck yeah, that's awesome. And then we had these two other emergent volunteers and they got tacked onto my team. I just told you, you know, before I started down the whole emergent volunteer rabbit hole, we had these two volunteers tacked onto my team and it was great because that gave us a couple of extra hands. We were already sort of short on our team. And like, if you handle it properly, and this is how I took it. I took them, kind of oriented them. We got them hard hats just because CYA, right? Like, here's your, here's your rock helmet, you know, here's flashlights, here's reflective vest, and then you just babysit them. And I don't mean that in a, in a disrespectful way to them. They did a great job, but you have to babysit them because they don't know what to do. And you just tell them before we go out, listen, we've got this parameter. We have these search lanes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be a containment out here. We're going to put the other guy with extreme amount of experience as much as me out there on that end for containment. And we're going to fill in the middle with the rest of our team. Plus you two, we're going to split up. We will put you in your lane distance wise between other people, just try to maintain it. It's dark. Everyone's running their headlamps. It'll be easy to keep track of where you're at by the headlamps around you. Be looking for footprints, be looking for candy wrappers, anything, anything at all that you see that's out of place for the woods, just yell hold. And if anyone hears hold, you yell it out until it ripples its way all the way down the line. We stop and I will make my way to you and we'll see what you found. That's pretty simple. Those are simple instructions that you can trust someone to basically perform. Look for anything out of the ordinary and just keep the pace. If you get slowed down for any reason, holler, hold the line. No big deal. Not breaking anyone's heart. You're not in trouble. Hold the line if you need to. If you can't get around something, holler at us. We'll find a way to get you around it, whatever. Um, so we were able to extend our range by a solid probably 70 feet. 
because we had a lot of visibility, believe it or not, down here in this river bottom, we had a lot of visibility. Um, because there wasn't any real underbrush. There was a lot of blowdown stuff in like, like detritus, like what would that be? Flotsam, right? Stuff that's floating in the water, comes up in the flood, it catches in these big things and turns into like big masses of crap down in there. But you get around that pretty easy. We had a really clear lines of sight. You could see almost as far as your headlamp could take you, um, which is odd in the forest. But again, we're not in the forest. We're kind of in the bottoms. Tons of trees everywhere, but very, very clear viewing lanes. So we were able to get probably another 70 or 80 feet, if not 100 feet. I'm trying to do the math in my head. Probably 100 to 110 feet of coverage in our area by adding in these two emergent volunteers who literally just had seen on Facebook that there was a search going on for a missing person locally. And they, their exact words were, well, we don't have our kids tonight. And we sound, sounded like, hey, we would love to go try to help. And here we are. So we put them to work and it was great. Y'all, they did awesome. They did absolutely awesome. Like I just kept an eye on them from my end down there running containment. They kept up with the line. They did what they told. They hollered if they thought they saw something. We went and checked it out. That was really cool. Like they did a great job. And I guess they had a blast that night, you know, being able to come and help out. And we were able to put them to use. Emergent volunteers absolutely have their place. If you handle them properly, like put them to work in a way that they can be useful, but also not destroy evidence or whatever. Um, that's really important. And we can really work things out like that, you know. But again, I always tell you guys, come out as an emergent volunteer. That's fine. That's fine. We will find a way to use you. Most likely, most often, not always. You know, sometimes you just can't. Sometimes the situation is sensitive for whatever reason. But a lot of times we'll put you to use if we can. But I just suggest going and joining a local search and rescue team. Y'all, just go do it. Get the training and then you can just be a part of it. Like, you're going to get a lot of training. It's going to help you be a better woodsman. And you are going to make the world a little bit better place by going out there and doing your freaking public service duty. You know what I mean? It's a win-win-win for everyone. Um, but we had a really, really solid response that night it flowed darn pretty darn seamlessly like you know i'm not living up in incident command i've got my job and it's not my business to go get my nose and all that business i just do what i'm told especially in a situation like that i show up in there when they say come here we need to tell you what to go do you're about to be briefed cool here i come um but it went i felt like really well we had some really good coverage out there and then of course we rolled on to very very late in the night the weather was not bad Believe it or not, for December in Arkansas, it was actually a pretty darn mild night. Got very, very late and uh, basically had to, for safety purposes, y'all, we're walking alongside a river that could eat you, eat you alive. You know what I mean? Um, in the dark, there's some sinkhole type of things. It's not like cars photography sinkholes, but just like sand, y'all. Like this, this, oh, this whole undergrowth, this forest of uh, river bottom is built on just sand dunes that have grown over with trees have grown out of. Like that's just how rivers are in the lowlands, you know, like there's big holes in the ground here and there, like it gets dangerous and you don't want to add to the problem. So you have to keep your own people safe. And we got very late into the night and called it off to start out the next morning. Roll back into, I see, um, there was cold pizza and cold tacos from Taco Bell. And let me tell you something. It was a delicacy. Like you were so hungry straight from work, no dinner, roll back up there at midnight or whatever the heck time it was later. And there's a cold taco from Taco Bell, and man, it hits, y'all. It hits. And cold pizza, it hits. Like, gosh, it was so good. 
It was so good. But it was a, a well-performed search that night, I think. It was a well-ran search from what I could tell. We had a really good night out there looking. We had a really good um, probability of detection, I think, with the lanes that we cleared. We had a lot of sight lines. We had a lot of coverage. Um, even doubled up a little bit here and there. There's always going to be um, overlap, which is good because that means you're getting good coverage. We had some overlap for other teams that were crossing our path on a different uh, section. Um, we had a really, really good response, and we didn't find them that night. They picked back up the next day. I had to go to work. Um, the outcome was not positive, unfortunately. They did find him the next afternoon. He was deceased, um, but he had medical situation going on, and that's the best I can tell you, and I'm not getting into any of that crap because that's just not cool. Um, they did have a medical situation and, and we kind of understood that that might be the case when we went out there, you know, but we were able to recover him and bring some closure, start the closure process for someone somewhere. You know what I mean? That's why you do it. That's why you do it. You want to help. You want to, you want to find them if you can in a good outcome, but sometimes it can't be, you know, sometimes it can't be, sometimes you have no control over it. Um, as this was the case, you know, we, we didn't have any control over that. Like that was kind of, kind of just had already happened. You know what I mean? So we found him and we were able to bring some closure. I wasn't out there for that. Um, I had to be at work, but we were able to bring people some closure. Someone somewhere needed closure. And that's an important part of search and rescue. Just like I mentioned earlier, that can be an important part of it is you're still helping someone. It's not what you want to see, but it's still helpful. It's still very valuable until, unless you've ever been in a situation like that, or you've witnessed a situation like that kind of firsthand, you don't realize how important closure really is. Like in your mind, you're like, okay, whatever. Like if you haven't kind of brushed up against it in your life and hopefully you haven't, but if you ever have, you realize it's a big deal. Closure is a huge deal for people. It's a very huge deal. Um, it's very important. Um, so I was glad that we were able to get out there. I was glad to see so many people respond. Y'all, again, Game and Fish, County Sheriff, State Police, um, National Guard, three county teams. Like, it was it was a good response, and everyone worked really well together, and that's what it's all about. And that teamwork is what makes it. That's what makes the sauce awesome. The teamwork is what makes the sauce awesome. Um, and we're going to end tonight with one more story. We've run on. Actually, I got more out of tonight than I thought I would. I was kind of afraid it wouldn't, um, wouldn't have enough content. I thought, but then again, I got to remember I'm Justin. I can make anything too long. Um, so we're going to end on a higher note for the night and the most recent search that happened just well, a few days ago, um, on a local mountain a non-named an unnamed local mountain to me. And most of you actually, y'all, you know what? I don't have that many listeners in Arkansas. Do y'all know that? I've got even more advanced statistics now that I have access to. And I was looking into that and, and we don't even have, I don't even have that many Arkansas listeners, you know, a profit in their own town, right? Profit in their own hometown, <laughs> whatever. But the rest of the country, y'all, I got people all over the world listening and it's awesome. I got my, some of my highest listener counts are in California of all places. Like I got a lot of people out there listening, but not in Arkansas. Like, I don't know why. I mean, there's a whole thing I could go down. I actually have some suspicions why, but it doesn't matter. Um, so it doesn't really matter. You guys will never know what I'm talking about. Again, just trying to keep it vague. But we had a call out to a mountain. We had an elderly dementia patient who had gone missing. And um, it was cold. Very, 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 very cold. He had been out 
um, all night. He had three puppers with him, which was excellent. And that was the best thing showing up to incident command. We got our call. I showed up first before anyone. And I got there half an hour ahead of everyone else. So I just went in and I got the briefing so that I was waiting for when my, the rest of my team showed up and we showed up a good team. It was a weekend. We had seven people in route when they showed up. We had eight people. We had three from Franklin coming in and we were able to put field two teams basically out of that little showing. And when I got there, I'll never forget. Like, I just, I don't know why it just, it felt good to open that door to incident command and the incident commander look at you saying, Oh, thank God you're here. Like, that's an awesome feeling. Um, cause that means they know, they know who you are because your work ethic and your success rates and your professionalism has preceded you. It says that you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and they needed us. Like they really did. They had a whole night out there hunting and they were running some dogs and a lot of volunteer fire. Um, a volunteer fire can do great, but again, not search and rescue trained. Some of them are on search and rescue teams. So there's some of it and it bleeds out, but generally speaking, they're not search and rescue trained. They're rescue trained. They can evac, you know, they can literally extract you from a car that's been turned into a crushed beer can, but like, they're not very, they don't get training usually an actual search and rescue, but they ran dogs all night. They ran the trails. They knew this guy's regular loop. Um, they had a lot going, they had a lot going. And when I show up and they start running it down, y'all, they had all of it. They did it right. They got all of the info. We knew exactly what he was wearing. We knew exactly what his normal loop was. We knew exactly the dog's names so we could call for the dogs. Um, we knew, we knew we had a picture. We had a picture of his cane his walking stick. We could see the way that it was knobbed at the bottom and give us something else to look for. Cause the thing that was on the bottom, everyone knows what that kind of an imprint that makes. Cause they're pretty standard. Um, we had so much information to work with and you walk in as a dementia patient. And I'm like, my first question is after they gave me all the info, my first question is I'm looking at the topo on the wall. Um, on you know, the computer, Sartopo, and I'm like, okay, so this is everything you've searched, right? And they showed me everything they'd searched. They said, listen, these are the big areas that we need to push, you know, seasoned veteran searchers through. And that's what we were there for. Um, and Franklin's guys coming in. And so I'm getting an idea of that. And so I start asking the questions. When you're talking about dementia, you're asking a few basic questions just right out of the gate. One of them is, did he grow up in the area? Grew up in the house that he's missing from? Been there his whole life. Family thing which kind of cool. Um, I was like, okay, is there anything close? Did he get married somewhere really close? Did, is there a family cemetery really close? Like dementia patients tend to go to places that they remember from earlier in their life. If that's an option and it's pretty close and walking distance that happens pretty darn often. So they're like, no, it's all right here. This family cemetery is right over there by the house that he lives in. Oh, oh, okay. So, well, that's interesting, but they also like water. Okay. Like autistic, patients will also like to go to water. Well, dementia can too. So I was like, is there any water? And they're like, well, I'm looking and I'm seeing myself. There are creeks everywhere. I'm like, okay, well that further complicates things because there's creeks everywhere. Is there any bigger body of water? And there did seem to be like this little shell pit situation over there. And I'm not positive because I did not make the find. I wasn't on the team that made the find later. Um, but I was like, okay, shell pits usually have water. I was like, that'd probably be a good place to look. And they're like, yeah, yeah. So Getting all this info while we're waiting on the rest of my team to arrive. You can only get there as fast as you can get there. You know, you're not running code to go on a search like this. You know what I mean? Like you don't put other lives in danger to get out there and go, go ground pound. Right. So they show up 
in a timely fashion. We had a really good response time, you know, but it's an hour drive from REOC to where we were going an hour and like 15 actually. Um, and they show up and we're ready. Like they come up, grab them in a group, give them all the details. Everyone whips out their notepads. They get all the info we need. Everyone's trying to get the dog's names in mind, writing it down, putting notes in their phone, whatever. We've got our information, get loaded up, get ready to go. Y'all interagency operability. That's inner team actually right there. That is teamwork, teamwork. We're going into another County. We got our County, another County responding and we're showing up and we're mixing a team between our County and another County and we're ready to go. That's teamwork. And that's, that's what it's all about. And we were able to say, like I told my whole team, I've gathered them together right before we went out. And I was like, listen, we got these three guys right here from Franklin County. They're on our team. I may be this team lead and my other team lead over there may be the other team lead, but you listen, if those guys in those orange shirts say anything to you, we have people that have been, you know, that are newer to the team. So if they say anything, treat them like a team lead, take them seriously, whatever they say. Yeah. Think about it. Think about doing it because they've forgotten more than a lot of us will ever know. You know, I'm speaking for myself here. They've forgotten more than I may ever know. These guys are good. They say it, do it. You know what I mean? Like again, knowing your different agencies, your different teams, knowing each other, knowing your capabilities. You want to give me Franklin County guys? Yes, please. You want to put me on a Franklin County team anywhere? Yes, please. Like that's important. And we were able to field a couple of really good teams. We get out there, we show up to where we're going to go start our search from, run up, run our lanes. We got a drone operator out there. We got game and fish out there. We got a county sheriff out there. Game fish is running a drone and wasn't very far into our search. Bingo, bango. Get the call. He has been found by the shell pit. And I was like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And that's awesome. And it goes to show you once again, lost person behavior isn't is an actual science that actually works. He was found where was the like most likely place for him to be found given all the circumstances in the situation. And he was found alive, cold, accompanied by three puppies and had a long, cold night out in the woods in the drizzle and the cold weather. And I mean, to me, miraculous that he survived. It's very, you know, he's an older gent and frail. Like it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. It was a win. It was a win. You know, by the time we got out of there, he was already in a bus being taken care of getting put back together and warmed up and all the things that he was needing were getting put into his body. It was a great outcome and it was a great search because it was one team recognizing a need and saying, Hey, we've got an issue in our County and we need help. And all of the counties around saying, we'll be there to help. And then all of us showing up and forming teams together, intermingled teams and working together. And we ended up finding the guy, you know, our teams didn't do it. Someone else did. And that's all that matters. Cause in the end, it's not about us. It's not about ego. It's about a subject. And the subject is still alive today because teamwork, teamwork is what makes the sauce awesome. But it was, it was a, it was a great example. Um, a great example of a team effort. And that's one of the things I love so much. One of my selling points for all of you out there, you should join search and rescue team is in the end. If you can save someone's life, if you can just be out there doing your part and someone's life gets saved, that's, that's, you sleep well that night. You're always going to sleep well 
when you've gone out there and worked your butt off and you did it for the good of someone else. It's, it's, it's a good feeling to be able to help someone like that. Anyway, around it, we had a great outcome for that. And that's a great place to wrap up tonight's episode. We've run on pretty long here. Um, so we're going to wrap it up so I can get on with the editing process and all the other things I got to do tonight. Um, but yeah, we're going to end on a high note. One of them we got to bring home. Someone else brought home, but I was out there. And it's just always good to be a part of a team like that. And all of you should consider looking into joining your local teams. If you're an outdoors person, a hiker, anything. Y'all, there's many, many forms you can take on. If you're not a ground pounder anymore, but you're great at, we were just talking about this at training today. If you're great at Excel, you know, Microsoft Excel, if you're great at say maps, say you're a former military and you, you know, whatever, if you're good at training people and say first aid, whatever it might be, guys, there's all kinds of positions that we can throw somebody into on search and rescue team. You don't all have to be young and super healthy and ground pounding 12 miles, whatever. There's plenty of things that need to be done. So if you have interest, look into it. I highly encourage it for tonight. I'm going to back out the door here and try to do it as quickly as possible. If any of you want to find out more about the show or any of the projects that we keep going on, it is always waywardstories.com. If you want to get in touch with me, mywaywardstory at gmail.com. And honestly, if you guys like would do me the favor, I've said this a million times, but if you will go and leave a rating and a review, I got some more ratings recently, but no reviews. And I am thankful for whoever you are out there that you click that five stars. I love it. Thank you so much. But if any of you get time, the reviews are extremely helpful. So if you get a chance to leave a rating and review again, you always have my eternal gratitude um, and share, share the show. If you hear a show, an episode you like, share it in some group that you have somewhere that you think they might like it too. It's all about spreading the word organically because I cannot afford, well, I can't even afford the classes I'm taking right now, let alone advertising for this podcast. So anyway, I appreciate all of you and I appreciate all of your support. And until next time, you guys get out there, do something, go join a search and rescue team. Think about it. Anyway, don't forget, y'all be good to each other. <laughs>